Welcome to the Financial Advisors Workshop, where we will be interviewing some of the most successful financial advisors in America to hear exactly what strategies and tactics they use to grow their practice to 100 million and beyond. So our biggest goal here with this podcast is to help you grow your financial advisor practice. So thanks everybody for tuning in and let's jump into the interview. Well, hey, welcome everybody back to the Financial Advisors Workshop. It's a four-star podcast and video series. And uh, the Financial Advisors Workshop program uh, talks with great financial advisors. It's, it's our workshop, essentially, about how uh, folks in our industry serve clients and how they run their practice and how they, uh, the nuts and bolts, the, the sausage making, as it were, of, uh, of uh, financial advisory. So we have a really great guest today, uh, Ohioan uh, in Columbus. And his name is Kevin Clark. Kevin Clark, welcome to the Financial Advisor Workshop. Thanks for having me, Brian. I'm excited to be here today. Absolutely. Well, we had a little discussion earlier, Kevin, about um, your practice and how you've developed. And you were at a warehouse. You now with Ameriprise Independent, but you have a lot of unique things going on separately. Uh, so tell, tell our group, today, and by the way, you know, a few hundred people will see this right away, and then over the next year or so, probably three to 4,000 people will see this. So imagine yourself in an auditorium with 3,000 people all watching, maybe not all at once, right? So, Pressure's on. <laughs> um, I'm teasing, I'm teasing, yes. But uh, yeah, t tell, tell uh, this great crowd of, uh, of guests that want to hear your story about your story. Absolutely. So I've been in the financial services industry for a decade right now and gone through just about every type of company or business model you can if you're working for a national name type of firm other than an insurance company. So I've worked for a couple of years at a discount brokerage in one of their call centers in various roles, spent three and a half years at a wirehouse serving high net worth clients. And now the last four and a half years, I've been uh, not an employee any longer, but self-employed working in the independent channel of a national broker-dealer, Ameriprise, like you mentioned. Yeah. Uh, and that's been a terrific shift. But in addition to all my responsibilities with that, I also have a separate LLC. Over the last couple of years, I've started offering tax preparation and tax advice as an additional service. And uh, so I'm very busy, got a lot of things going on, but uh, really excited to be able to serve as many clients as I've been able to over the years. Well, one of the things you mentioned, I thought that was very interesting in our pre-discussion, and you mentioned it again today, is that you do taxes too. Now, the Ameriprise and a lot of the big brokerage firms, the financial houses don't do taxes. How do you do that? Absolutely. So Ameriprise, to their credit, they allow you to set up an outside business activity. And essentially, you just have to not put Ameriprise stuff on your letterhead for the tax company. Uh, if a client employs you for both, they need to sign something acknowledging that it's two separate arrangements and you're not getting your tax advice through Ameriprise. But uh, from that standpoint, then uh, you can run it like your own business. So uh, I basically got into this because prior to the shutdowns with the pandemic in 2020, I met with three or four families in a row that I've worked with for years and years. 
and all of them for some degree were dissatisfied with their tax advisor at that point and talking about it would be so much easier with me understanding what they have, what their tax situation is, to be able to just fold that into everything else we do together. And I researched and found that there was a way to do it. I got the enrolled agent certification through the IRS to become a bit of an more of an expert. And it's led to quantum growth, both in that business and also in my Ameriprise business. My growth rate in a lot of metrics has doubled since I opened that two years ago. Well, and, and many of the financial firms don't want that, but you found a way to do it with Ameriprise, which is great. Mm -hmm. uh, but it seems more and more financial advisors are offering tax services, Yeah, uh, which, which is, seems like a normal line extension, doesn't it? Seems normal. It does. And what I've found is uh, it, as we get more and more to a commoditized process with investments, it's becoming increasingly more and more with my clients, kind of the major value add differentiator yeah. is um, there's a lot of people that they talk to or that they get cold calls from that can run a financial plan or manage their investments, but very few of them also have that tax expertise. So it's really solidified a lot of my relationships with people and becoming a major differentiator to me. And you're a CFP as well. So that yes. really builds your credential in those areas mm -hmm. and CPA as well, which is great. Yeah, I have the CFP and then the CIMA, the investment management designation that kind of drills an extra 50 to 100 feet down in the investment sleeve of the CFP curriculum. Uh, so I basically, at every stop that I've made throughout my career, taken advantage of their opportunities to pay for some or all of those various credentials and used it to build my expertise around additional services that I was offering as I went along. It sounds great. So you mentioned you've doubled your practice recently um, by adding tax services. That's been kind of the glue or, or, the, or, the, or the sucking sound that's helped bring you a lot of assets in. Um, and I noticed that after eight years, or it says 10, but about eight years really of being your own independent FA, um, you're at 250 million. That's quite an accomplishment actually. Uh, so, uh, and so how did most of the large accounts develop? It's not all $200,000 accounts. So you've got some large clients. How did that develop? Yeah, a lot of uh, my largest relationships are millionaire next door types of people that uh, were in blue collar jobs or run blue collar types of businesses where occasionally they need to roll up their sleeves and get their hands dirty. Things like excavators, roofers, home builders. Um, they've just quietly gone about um, finding various ways to make money, saving a large portion of it and having it built, uh, and also at the same time, reinvesting in their businesses. So that's, in a lot of cases, one of the most fun and challenging parts is figuring out how do you balance continuing to scale those businesses with setting aside enough money to fund your personal goals? And what does it look like when you actually reach a point of you no longer want to run that full time and want to transition it or potentially sell it? Um, but most of my clients are in that regard, or they're just school teachers, you know, people that worked for modest wages their entire career and were diligent savers uh, mm -hmm. and 
they tend to run in the same circles of people that are like-minded and tend to refer a lot of people that are in similar situations to that. Kevin, do you ask for a lot of referrals? Yeah, I do talk uh, with most of my clients about that, but I do try to personalize it. So the, the best trick that I've found throughout my career is usually when I meet with a client, the first 15 minutes or so, we're talking about family or personal updates and we're not getting into money yet. And every time they mention a name of a friend, a family member, something that's going on, I've always just made a note of that name and what they mentioned so that the next time I talk to them, I can bring that up and say, hey, you mentioned your brother's going through a tough time right now. How is he doing? Mention them by name. And inevitably, after a few of those interactions, it kind of just naturally pops into their mind of, you know, I really do need to introduce them to you. You've you've asked a couple times. You're clearly interested in their situation. So kind of a soft side of referrals versus outright asking. But I do kind of have that built into my process of asking about people that they know and gradually getting them to kind of see the opportunity of me being able to help them too. You have to be intentional about it. You can't be a, exactly can't be a, you know, kind of a, it's not going to happen by osmosis. You have to, you do mm -hmm. have to. Yeah, that's great. Well, good. So tell us further about the practice. You use um, managers and you, or you manage some of the phone. How does that work? So the majority of our uh, assets as a team are fee-based and um, particularly discretion. So over 200 million of that number is in discretionary accounts right now. Uh, we have made that change over the last basically two years. I was actually brought on to my current team from another Ameriprise independent team based on that expertise. They were prior to that working with non-discretionary accounts and had reached a point where it was eating into their time to have to contact every single client every time they wanted to make a change. And in a lot of cases, missing the opportunity as they went down their list. So they brought me in to help transition that. And over the last two years, we've basically made that our core offering and really freed up a lot of time to be able to talk more with our clients and go searching for new clients as well. Nice. So you talk about minimizing taxes. How much of that is a part of your success as a financial advisor? Has the tax minimization been a big part? Absolutely, yeah. Um, the, the challenge that we had uh, last year, so I've been doing it for two years now. Last year's taxes were really easy because uh, the market crashed and we were tax loss harvesting and repositioning everything at the end of March for the eventual run-up that it had. But last year was very difficult because a lot of those funds and ETFs that we use were paying out a lot of distributions that they had earned in 2020. Right. So trying to manage those taxes was a lot more difficult last year, but uh, it was a case where it's progressively become a bigger and bigger emphasis for my clients of do everything you can to take advantage of those opportunities to limit what I'm adding to my taxes every year from investments. And I would consider it almost a primary value add to a lot of my key relationships right now 
that have accumulated a substantial amount of wealth that are really focused on their taxes because they're in the highest brackets. Great. Interesting. Now, you, you do some work with charities and do some directed charitable donations. Let's talk a little bit about that and, and how that works into your practice. Yeah, so charitably, uh, a lot of my business owners are charitably inclined. They either have their own nonprofits that they've created and fund, or they hold nonprofit events that fund national things. Like, for instance, a couple of weekends ago, I was at uh, a event for one of my business owner clients. Uh, their daughter, like myself, has epilepsy. And so they raise a huge amount of money to donate to Epilepsy Foundation. Okay. So a lot of my clients are charitably inclined and um, tend to basically find causes that affect them and their families personally. But at the same time, the other thing that I've been doing a lot lately is using donor advised funds with the tax code where it is right now. A lot of my clients, rather than making those donations every year as they've done in the past and deducting them, are having to lump them into larger contributions in single years to itemize. And so we're doing that through contributing just a bulk of money to a donor advised fund. And then they have the ability throughout their life, the rest of the time to decide what causes are most important to them and make those contributions appropriately. Right. Nice. Mm -hmm. So now you said much of the money is managed on your own. Uh, discretionary account. So um, this habit, having been the worst first half since 1970. <laughs> don't remind me. <laughs> How's it going? How's it going? You know, I, I've been really surprised uh, at, I'm really blessed that most of my clients are very easy to work with, but the rarity of calls I'm receiving of people that are panicking or feeling like they need to do something has been extremely low this year compared to even 2020. Mm. Um, and I think a lot of it has to do with the fact that uh, even through the news sources as uh, unreliable as they may be that they follow, they know that there's really not a great place to park your money right now. Um, you know, bonds are basically having their worst year ever. So they're not providing that ballast that they usually do against the stock market. It's been, you know, a slow, gradual bleed for the first time in a lot of my clients' lives because I work with several families that are under the age of 40. So their only frame of reference really is the COVID crash and 2008 when some of them were in college. Yeah. Um, and then you get into, you know, things like cryptocurrency, you know, the bottom falls out and some of their major institutions go bankrupt. Cash because of inflation is losing eight to 9% a year. Um, a lot of my clients just naturally know that there's really not a great place. And um, they've worked with me long enough to know that we've kind of built in a buffer with conservatism of assumptions that we can get through a year like this, make it up uh, through continued diligence, saving and investing. So to their credit, they've not panicked and they're kind of riding out the storm with me. Nice. Well, you mentioned uh, previously that you're an introvert. 
Yeah. And uh, so, um, but in our industry, sometimes you need to be outgoing and assertive. So how does an introvert manage that process? Yeah, it's been kind of a, a learning and self-discovery experiment for me because I have, um, even though I had no interest at all in following in their footsteps growing up, I have a long family history in financial services. My grandfather for 30 years was an advisor. My uncle did it for 25 years and my father retired about five to seven years ago after 38 years as an advisor. So um, I've grown up around it, but had no interest in it at all and just kind of learned it. But uh, I, you know, from the outset have heard things even from family members that you need to be more outgoing and assertive to be able to have success in this industry. What I've found um, is that there are a ton of underserved individuals right now that are introverts that just have a much higher barrier of trust to work with somebody. And as a result, they've gone through basically their entire lives not reaching that trust threshold to hire a financial advisor or planner. Uh, and so I naturally attract a lot of people that think like me, that have a similar personality, uh, that have never worked with an advisor. And it's really rewarding to build that level of trust because once you do get them to a point where they are you know, willing to let you in, they're some of the most open people about their really intimate lives in both directions. And they tend to have accumulated a lot of wealth secretly, uh, quietly. Uh, again, millionaire next door types that just go about their business. And a lot of them are kind of homebodies to where they never put themselves in a position to spend money. So that quiet guy down the block might be a millionaire because he's quiet, doesn't talk about it. Never know. Yeah, pretty much. And, and um, you know, that's kind of... Um, as much as my dad is kind of the polar opposite in personality, he's very extroverted publicly. Uh, he also just, I kind of learned from him that uh, you you go about doing your saving, you don't flaunt your wealth. And that's pretty much most of my clients, that they're a lot wealthier than their friends would realize just because they've ingrained those habits and they have those Midwestern values, certain level of humility about themselves. Yeah. Interesting. Well, um, so you talked about uh, them, you know, the clients are in pretty, pretty good shape. Um, you know, a tough time in the business. Um, you know, what kinds of things are you uh, learning now because of what's going on that you think is going to help you going forward? I mean, dealing with this kind of tough market. Yeah, I think the biggest adjustment that I am going through right now is prior to the shutdown with COVID, I had a very systematized process for how I met and interacted with my clients. So a lot of my clients, uh, I basically meet them where they are at their homes or businesses, sit down across the table, and we talk about life and eventually finances. And that was kind of how I built that level of trust with them. And I had a cadence about everything. So I basically, at the beginning of every quarter, when I would get updates on, you know, all the performance numbers, all the economic updates and everything, 
I would set those meetings in the first part of that quarter, meet with everybody. And then that left me with one and a half to two months to go out and try to look for new people. Right. It's, it's completely on by the wayside with COVID um, to where it's now, in a lot of cases, it takes an extra phone call or two for somebody to return a phone call. There's no you know, strict process around when we meet. It's more of whenever the client feels like they're going through a situation or has a question. So that's been an adjustment. And also uh, I have worked with a lot of clients out of state, but um, pretty much all my clients now, there's a certain element of remote discussion. So um, having to utilize, you know, software like Zoom or Microsoft Teams to have meetings now has become much more integral, which is uncomfortable. I don't necessarily love it, but um, that's kind of the biggest adjustment that I've had to make is just my service model and the ways that I meet people and the times that I meet people. Nice. Yeah, that makes sense. So you've got a set of core values and uh, basically you operate with those core values. What, what do you think the greatest opportunity that you have for going forward in the future is in building this practice? Some new strategies or new ideas or what, uh, what does the future look like? Yeah, so that's a question that uh, goes through my mind on a daily basis right now. Uh, it has to do with going back to that tax practice of I basically launched that thinking that it would be just a value add for a select group of clients that weren't satisfied. So I was anticipating seven to 10 people in that first year of end of 2020, beginning of 2021, ended up being 38 returns that year. And this year was 125. So about 250% year over year growth. Uh, and I did have a couple interns helping me this past cycle, but I'm pretty much at capacity and finding I'm still getting a ton of referrals for that side of things, even from other financial advisors and planners. So the challenge that I'm dealing with right now is uh, I basically now see that as a business that can scale into its own empire and have a much more steady stream of referrals for the Ameriprise side of things. But I'm trying to figure out how do I actually scale that? How do I find that person that can grow with me that is able to kind of run the operations that I trust to basically free up some of the capacity for myself and potentially do some of the functions that I can't do or don't want to do, like payroll or bookkeeping, you know, the things that a classic CPA would do. So that's what I'm trying to figure out is how do I basically scale that? Because I want to be able to kind of offload a certain portion of that, let it continue to grow while I focus more and more on the Ameriprise side of things that I'm most passionate about. Great, and what are those things? Just the ability to have those intimate discussions with people. Uh, I, as an introvert, um, small talk has always been a challenge. I really prefer personal one-to-one -one intellectual types of conversations or really meaningful discussions where we're sharing intimate details with one another. So that to me is a big thing that I love about financial planning is you really 
after a few years know a lot about that family that even their friends probably don't know. And my favorite moment is really uh, when you put together that plan, you encourage them throughout it. And eventually they reach that point where the light bulb goes off and they kind of sit back and realize, oh, all of my goals are funded now. My purpose in life is secured. Seeing the weight that comes off their shoulders um, and having that stress relief of knowing that what they want to do in life, they'll be able to accomplish. That's what gets me up every morning in the morning. And uh, that's really what I strive to do with everybody I work with. That's great. It's great. Well, it sounds like you have a great practice and you have great, great clients and nobody's jumping, uh, you know, jumping off the cliff for the market. So you seem like you're in pretty good shape there. The clients are hanging in there. Um, <clears throat> it's interesting to hear your ideas and how an introverted personality can be successful in this mm -hmm. industry full of big flashy promoter type salespeople too. Right. So, so, uh, but not everybody is that way. Uh, it's really fascinating to hear. So you end up with a lot of in, in, introverted clients as well? Yeah, uh, most of my clients also lean introverted. And, uh, you know, they if they get a cold call, they're hanging up the phone, just like I am. Uh, if they have, you know, a professional that's trying to cross promote services they don't want or need, it's off putting. That was one of the reasons why I kind of saw into the future and decided that uh, I needed to find a new path beyond the wirehouse was uh, they were getting much more aggressive about promoting their banking services and tying advisor compensation to it. And I knew that uh, not only would that be a huge conflict of interest, it could potentially turn off and alienate some of my clients that already had all those services and didn't have a need to consolidate yeah. everything and lose potentially a more personal relationship with a community bank. So you can keep that relationship solid and more under control, if you will, with a, a being independent at Ameriprise. Exactly. Yeah. I have much more flexibility to structure out relationships around the services that a client needs and the resources they have to pay for it. So that was kind of the other big push was you know, at the wirehouse, you need to have $250,000 of wealth accumulated already to become a client. Right. So a lot of my immediate network of friends and peers is disqualified from that because they just haven't had the time to build that wealth yet. Um, at this Ameriprise now, I can continue to serve those high net worth families, but I can also do things like a recurring monthly subscription where the people most in need of advice and building those habits early on in life are able to just pay me every month to retain my services and advice. So that's opened up a huge opportunity as well to kind of build those relationships early on so that when they do reach that point of having plenty of money, I've already kind of locked in that relationship. They're not going to be going out and searching for an advisor at that point. That's great. Wow. Well, good. I, I um, I'm, I'm impressed. I like what you're doing, it sounds great, and I think uh, a lot of listeners learned a lot from your uh, no nonsense approach. Uh, <laughs> the quiet guys can make it well in our business. They don't have to be loud and boisterous and obnoxious or whatever it might be. So, 
great. It's great that you're with us today. And, and why don't we leave it there, uh, Kevin? And um, we'll look forward to checking in with you later on to see how things are growing. You've done impressive things in just eight years already. So uh, it's going to be very interesting to see how things develop for you. Absolutely. Thank you very much for talking with me today. I really appreciate this opportunity. Thanks for being with us on the Financial Advisors Workshop. And we'll be back with another uh, interview with a, another great member of our, of our uh, colleague list in the financial advisory industry. Uh, so thanks again, everybody. Thanks, Kevin. Thanks, everybody, for being with us today. We'll be back with another episode very soon. Thank you so much for listening. Again, our biggest goal here is to help you grow your financial advisor practice to 100 million and beyond. So don't forget to download our guide on all the tips, strategies, and tricks I personally use to grow my practice to 100 million and beyond in managed assets by going to fourstarwealth.com forward slash advisors. And if you're a financial advisor looking for more freedom, higher margins, better training, please set up a consultation to discuss joining our team by going to fourstarwealth.com forward slash advisors. All right. Well, thanks for listening. And until the next financial advisor workshop, keep on growing out there, everyone.